most people think. Lockdown, 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 lockdown. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of What Most People Think. And as you can see, the theme tune is still the same. I'm just, I'm just going to leave it. I, I went down that road, I thought about changing it, and then it turns out people really like the theme tune as it sounds now. So let's just bench that, particularly as the government seems to be shaping up. I don't know, there's some talk of uh, an October lockdown, uh, a Locktober. You've got to give it a shit name for these things. Movember, uh, Mopdown. Knockdown, <laughs> um, knockdown. Anyway, welcome to the show. There are quite a few new listeners I can see from the numbers. Welcome to uh, what most people think. A lot of that I'd imagine would have come from being on Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's brilliant lockdown parent in hell. And what a huge show that is. I mean, we are now at the point where there's certain podcast shows that bring more new followers and listeners than, than TV shows, right? And it was great fun speaking to them. Uh, if you are, like, there were one or two more. I just fucking stubbed my toe on something. I was going to try and style that out, but it really hurt. Because anyone ever explained why uh, the pain of a stubbed toe is as elevated as it is? There's absolutely no fucking correlation whatsoever between the experience. I mean, they say that the body's pain receptors are there to send a warning uh, to the brain about danger. I would, I would argue that the pain of just slightly curling your toe back isn't up, doesn't really correlate with the damage done. Uh, I, I've always thought of my, my toes as like massive drama queens. Do you know what I mean? Like the moment you stub them, they're like, quick, oh my God, oh my God, quick, get me to an A&E now. And then two minutes later, they're like, actually, I think it's fine. I think I might have overreacted. Uh, but yeah, there were one or two serious subjects discussed um, <clears throat> in the uh, little uh, emotion cough from the man there uh, in that episode regarding uh, miscarriage and stillbirth. Uh, or the usual listeners now, the, the really blokey listeners are going, oh, fuck it, here we go. He's going to spill his guts again. But um, if you do want to follow that up, if there are people that you think would benefit <clears throat> from hearing a bloke talk about those sort of things, you can also listen to the grief cast I did with Carriad Lloyd, which <clears throat> goes into that in a bit more detail. Now I just have actually got uh, basically a bit of shreddies stuck at the back of my throat. That's a nice image for you. Um, in a nutshell, this podcast, I don't know how many you've listened back to, it's called What Most People Think. And uh, I am a comic coming at things, from not from the, the usual political angle of most comics, but as much as anything these days, it's about the social angle. And I'm just trying to get to the heart of what I think that most... What's a reasonable middle ground take in this country? What are normal people thinking about social and political issues uh, of the day? Uh, I also made my return to Late Night Mash, the the artist formerly known as The Mash Report. And look, there's a show that everybody agrees on. So let's just say that everybody loved it and they had no issues with it whatsoever. But it was good to be back there, um, <laughs> sitting there. I must say that they're recording it now in Elstree. And um, they recorded it in central London for the first two series and then out in Pinewood. And the audience were, were good to me, but, it, you know, I had my jokes had to be really good to get a response. Elstree, though, love a bit of Elstree. They're like, they're a bit rough and ready, like, go on, oi, oi. I mean, if you've seen Elstree, Boreham Wood, no offence if you live there. Um, well, you know, some offence if you live there is a bit of a shit song. Um, Jonathan Pye as well was on the show, a.k.a. Jonathan Pye, Acker, Tom Walker. And um, some of you, and Jonathan was, uh, he, Tom was uh, great. Kaiser Soze was great. Kevin Spacey was great. I'm, I'm not implying anything there. But some of you, I had a couple of messages. We're getting quite a few moany messages now. We had some about 
the, the, the cuss count recently. Uh, some of you are moaning that I have too many left-wing comics on. Look, what you've got to understand is that I want to speak to interesting people. I want to speak to comics who have an eye on politics. But you also have to understand that on the kind of non-woke or right-wing comedian side, there just aren't that many of us. That's the problem. And you'll see that I've had the people that are that way inclined on regularly. So people like Simon Evans, Constantine Kissing, Leo Curse, Andrew Doyle. I've all made numerous appearances. They actually come back as co-hosts. But there is just... A numbers issue, you know. And what what I try to do is I try to get on lefties that are open to discussion. You know, try to avoid perhaps the more morally certain ones where I can. Um, so Patreon. So we had this thing where the Patreon ran their payment recently, and it's been an issue for a while. Is you just get a lot of cancelled accounts. Now I've had a couple of messages that. I don't know if anybody pays by PayPal, but that seems to be one of the key culprits. So if you are a patron and you wish to continue being a patron, just give your account a little check there and make sure that you still uh, got your subscription live because there was a lot of cancelled account. Maybe everyone's just fucking gone off it and gone, yeah, I've had enough of that. Fair enough. Not fair enough. That'd be very hurtful. But, but the point of the patron is to keep the podcast weekly and ad free. Right now, I know a lot of podcasts have adverts. I totally get that. I've just chose to go another way in the same way that my comedy goes another way. I think it's quite good brand synergy, the risk of sounding like a complete twat. Uh, But there are benefits. You get uh, uh, once a month, you get a Patreon only podcast. Uh, You can see my previous two tour shows, the the whole of them videoed, professional standard. (laughs) Does anybody say that anymore? Video to a professional standard. That made, that just made me sound like a bloke from the 90s there that used to film weddings. Um, do you remember those blokes? Is that, that, does that even still happen? They do that cheesy fucking graphics. Um, the slow-mo on the bride that always looked a bit creepy, like the bit in uh, um, Love Actually. Um, but yeah, there's loads of stuff there. There's my Comedy Unleashed set, the last two tours. There's uh, There'll be online gigs. I know we did a few of those during lockdown, but I suspect they will be coming back in winter. In fact, they will be coming back in winter, I'm telling you now. And uh, there will be soon a very ch- uh, the chance to be involved in making a radio programme. So if you want to be part of the Patreon community, go to patreon.com and just, just search my name and you can choose which tier makes sense to you. Uh, on that note, welcoming a few patrons to the show. We've got Paul Haig. Paul Haig, I don't know why, but that just sounds like a it would make for a good football chant. You know, Paul Haig, there's only one Paul Haig. He sounds like a centre-back for Chelsea in the early 90s. Do you remember that team? They had Graham Roberts, people like that. Dave Mitchell, fucking hell, pulled that name out of the bag. Uh, we got Simon Alexander Collier. Simon Alexander Collier sounds like an unpublished poet. Uh, we got Alan Bright. Uh, Alan Bright, um, did, you, did, you, did you marry a woman whose surname was Side? Because then... See where I'm going this? Then he'd be Mr. Brightside. I'm, I mean, that would be one for the wedding, wouldn't it? So, I mean, like, like it doesn't, like that song doesn't bang hard enough at weddings anyway. I'm Mr. Brightside, fucking literally. Although I don't agree with double-barreled names, but that's the subject for another week. Um, Stuart Nelson. Stuart Nelson. I mean, that is just a rock-solid 80s guy name, isn't it? Stuart Nelson, driving his Ford Capri with his, with his missus. What would his missus be called? Becky. Becky, no offence to any Becky's there. Becky's a nice enough name. It's, Becky's actually stuck about, hasn't it? I, I'd like to know the stats on that. We talk a lot about names on this show and what they indicate and, and their durability over time. I think Becky is uh, is a pretty solid name. Moira, on the other hand. Maureen, don't, they haven't really stood the test of time. Uh, David Shambrook. David Shambrook. Shambrooks. I mean, you. I don't know if you're a, a, a solicitor, David, but you sound your very name... Sounds like you should be a solicitor. Maybe you're in business with Stuart Nelson. Shambrook and Nelson. 
They still have those receptionists, those ladies that, that speak in a way. Shambrook and Nelson. I just, I would have loved one of those jobs just once in my life. Just a, just a job, a repeatable job where you just sit there, do the same shit every day. Uh, anyway, here's my weekly podcast. Um, so the cuss count, if you're new to the show, we have a thing called a cuss count whereby we track the curve of swearing. It started off during the period where we would be updated by the government on COVID numbers, hospitalizations and stuff. So we decided to do that with swearing, to track the curve of swearing. Because as we all know, it is big and it is clever. Um, so last week we had, uh, it was 0.56 swears a minute, which uh, for a guest episode is about bang on. Uh, Tom Walker managed 21 swears. So the esteemed David Domain, who compiles these for me, he's like a sort of cricket scorer. Uh, he says that he's, he's third in the rankings now. So Tom is uh, challenging Rom- Romish Ranganathan. And so basically the cuss count is kind of like a star in a reasonably priced car. But you get, at the end of it, at some point I'll, I'll award a prize for swearing and Romish Ranganathan He's currently top. We're on the lookout for exotic swears. This wasn't a swear as such, but David Domain drew attention to the use of the phrase anal fissure. Anal fissure. Uh, I mean, that sounds like a... I mean, it's fissure is spelled F-I-S-S-U-R-E. Uh, so if you if you spot any, you're free and welcome to come back to me on anything the show. You just email what most people think uk at gmail.com. So the way that the show works is I either have guests on uh, or I have returning guests doing co-hosting. Or I do solo shows if I if well, basically if all the other potential guests have told me to fuck off, because um, <laughs> not everyone will appear on this show. Let's put it that way. Um, so this will be a solo show, and I'm going to speak to you because I think there's some stuff that we need to catch up on. Uh, we obviously had the Tory national insurance rise, which is quite a well, it's quite a big development. Then we I don't know if you um, heard about this, but there was a Middlesbrough footballer that got in trouble for a tweet that he sent when he was 14. Yes. I know, I can hear the core audience for this going, oh, fucking, it's ridiculous. You can't say anything these days from when you were a kid in the past, historically. And then we're going to do a bit of mental health chat, not just because people are here from the lockdown parenting health thing, but there's a couple of things that are worth uh, going over that are currently happening with my good self. Um, <laughs> you're kind of like, what's going on, Jeff? You're transitioning. Uh, no, but I will speak to you about that towards the end of the show. Uh, we always do a thank you and a fuck you, a simple act of uh, gratitude and retribution. So thank you for the MASH feedback. I mean, look, let's just get this clear. When that show goes out, it has a core audience of very lefty, woke types that tweet about it. And they basically want to encourage more of the stuff that they like and less of the stuff that they don't. So I tend to get a fair bit of stick. If I come out of that 50-50, I'm probably doing all right. Um, but what I did get was quite a few people... Uh, who who were left wing who would normally hate me going oh, I actually didn't mind his piece and the piece was basically empathising with young people and I thought oh yeah yeah it's, it's amazing isn't it how how you can say oh he's actually not that bad when he says stuff that I agree with but I also got there was one review of the show which was complimentary about me but it also said that I was sort of being left wing somehow by sticking up for young people I found that a bit weird because if you look at the commentary on COVID and young people's experience of it it's mainly been right-wing commentators that have been pointing out the unfairness of it. It's been people on the left, hasn't it? They've been, shut the schools, put the kids in masks, inject fucking seven-year-olds. <laughs> they just, all, of their, all of their intergenerational unfairness stuff goes out of the window. Shut the nightclubs, have a 10pm curfew. So I found that odd. I don't think that highlighting young people's disproportionately uh, negative experience of COVID is in any way like a, a, a left-wing position. Um, look at me not well I'm not left wing god how dare you I'm so upset about being called left wing hey guys maybe I'm non-binary these days maybe we all are in some ways and the fuck you is to people tweeting that I'm not funny so like any comic if you're in this game and you do the odd bit of telly what you'll have is people going he's just deeply unfunny they try to find like the words that because they they 
Well, I mean, sometimes we do read them, but they just want you... They hate you, basically, because comedy produces this weirdly visceral reaction in people. And it's the same with me, and, you know, Nish gets loads of it as well. I mean, look, everyone's got their own opinion on comics, but I think it's a bit weird when you get that upset about a person that's just doing jokes and opinions. You know what I mean? I do find it odd, and it happens to comedians on the left and right, and people tweet that you're not funny. And that's the weirdest insult to go at, really, because the one thing that a comedian does think is that we're funny, all right? That is the thing that we fought since we were kids. You can't, you can't persuade us that we're not funny. You know, we're all sitting there thinking we should have our own show. You'd have to think that you were quite funny to have that level of uh, arrogance but I think what they think is that that they can move the dial right in their minds I think this is and this is people who activists or, or trolls from the left and right I think that they think that commissioners are watching Twitter and they're just waiting for for that kind of tweet that will change their mind and they'll be thinking well you know I was at the record Jeff seemed to do well and uh, he got lots of good laughs and you know you can even see it in the edit you can see him pausing for laughs that should be evidence that people laugh but hang on hang on hang on Chloe FBPE hashtag rejoin EU hashtag Boris the Butcher has said that Jeff Norcott is deeply unfunny and unpleasant. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get him off our screens now. Crack on with the show. First up, we're going to be talking about the Tory national insurance rise. I don't know why I said that in such a jolly fucking way. That was weird. Okay, let's do a little uh, recap here. So the Tories are introducing a 1.25% national insurance social care levy. They've given it some funky name, haven't they? And uh, and, and first, straight out of the gate here. So this is to fill the black hole in social care funding, right? Ostensibly, that's the idea. Now, first up, this is an area that a lot of people would be happy to see addressed. I mean, there are a lot of families dealing with uh, dementia and the implications of social care because we've got a very fucking old population, haven't we? I mean, we're very, <laughs> very old. You know, this is this is one of the things about the NHS, guys. It's great at making people live longer, but it also costs money too. Am I going to get in trouble for that? Maybe. Um, the idea that the government are trying to do something uh, will play out pretty well, I suspect. That's my what most people think straight out of the book gate, is I think that this has been pitched in a way. And Boris, he's got that weird thing sometimes where he can seem quite sincere at the dispatch box, and you go, does he have human emotions? Does he actually give a fuck about anyone other than himself? There was a flicker of it. I don't know. I've been fooled before. But the question is, is, is it going to be enough, right? Is this money actually... The idea, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not against... Um, I'm not in, uh, in favour of tax rises generally, but I suspect that... Well, as they, as they say in the game, you know, if you can't put them up after a pandemic, when can you? Hey, lads. But at this point in time, extra money for social care, I'm not against that. But there's two big issues, right? Is one, is it going to go to that directly? Yeah. Or is it going to go into the giant black hole that is the NHS? It is like a black hole, isn't it? Gorging on celestial energy in the form of money and getting bigger. And don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking the NHS, our dear beloved NHS, full of plucky volunteers that do it for, for a laugh and, you know, get out of the goodness of their hearts. But what I'm saying is, is it's a huge administrative body. I, I think the principle of free healthcare is a beautiful thing, but the NHS is a means of delivering that, right? Frontline doctors, A&E, nurses, got nothing but love for them. But then there's a lot of other people there, you know, pen pushers, procurement officers. That's the fear, isn't it? Will the money, if this money definitely means that people can get places in care homes and not have to fucking spend every bit of money that they've saved their whole life, then fair play. But was it a fair way to do it? I mean, one implication of doing it via national insurance is that it seems to, for the time being, exclude wealthy uh, pensioners, right? 
you know that generation that are going to be the ones that are principally going to benefit from this. And there's always that argument, and I've had this with the uh, boomers, there's me trying to get inside with the kids, is that what they'll say is, we paid in for it. We paid in for it. We paid in our national insurance stamp. I mean, maybe one of the implications is they actually, because wages used to be a physical thing, right? So they maybe psychologically it's burned into their mind that they actually handed back a bit of fucking shillings or fucking groats or whatever it was back in the day. So there we paid in for it. And fair enough. But I would say that so are we. We are paying in for it now. And I will guarantee that over time we'll be taking out a lot less because it will just be reduced. The pension will get less. Care will be reduced, all right? So I'm not sure that we paid in for it. It's really the home run argument that they seem to think. And would would income tax have been fairer because then it includes wealthy pensioners? I mean, I saw a stat in The Spectator the other day. And and just like people of... Um, People of pensionable age are now wealthier per head of household than people that are working be- between the ages of 45 and 54. <laughs> They're wealthier. They've got more fucking money. I mean, this is one thing about this generation. And I used to do a bit on it. You know, where they used to say, oh, you don't know you are born. We had it tougher in our day. And I used to say, well, yeah, but you've done all right since then, haven't you? You know, you ate all the cod in the North Sea. Bought your council house for seven quid. It's been tricky for Labour to respond to this, right? Um, Starmer seemed a bit muddled at the dispatch box. He was throwing at the Tories that they could no longer claim to be the party of low taxation. You go, okay, but what's your point there, Keir? Is that are you now saying that the Tories are definitely a party who put up taxation to pay for public services, right? But isn't that isn't that supposed to be your bag, mate? I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you thought this one through. Aha, look at them, right? Yeah, you can count on them to put up taxes to pay for stuff. All right, then what's the point of Labour? And then they were saying they they broke a manifesto promise. Um, I would say, again, another what most people think is that I don't think families looking for a bit of social care uh, and a bit of uh, certainty in their their loved one's old ages are going to be going, but, Jesus, it was a manifesto pledge, are they? They're going, yeah, look, it would be great if we don't have to uh, dip into all their savings. But quick, get me that weird brochure thing that comes around at election time that no fucker ever reads. <laughs> I mean, what is Labour's point? I don't understand. Is that you got, after a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic that created like a gigantic gouge in the public purse that you shouldn't slightly change tack? That would be, that would be fucking irresponsible. Yeah, oh, you said it in the manifesto. We, we said a lot of stuff in 2019, didn't we? Do you know what I mean? Said a lot of stuff. He said, I'll never, I'll never do fucking star jumps in front of my telly, but I did it, didn't I? Old Joe Wicks. And it's tricky for the um it's tricky for the right as well. Because do you remember the 2019 general election? The left repeatedly reassured us how these Tories were heartless bastards. And I bought into it. I was like, good, that's what I want in power. Now, look at them. Spending money, introducing new taxes for social care. I'm gonna do the Tories under the Trade Descriptions Act. Because they they remind me of the Gordon Brown years, right? We were told that Boris was going to be a dictator. I think he's like Gordon Brown. He looks a bit harassed. He looks a bit stressed out by the job. He's he's governing by focus group, essentially. I mean, Gordon Gordon did a little raid on the national insurance, didn't he? I, always, I just find national insurance is a really fucking sneaky way of making money because the idea that it will be separated out when it all goes into treasury coffers, like Rishi's got loads of little piggy banks. in his. You know what, actually, Rishi Sunak, he's so young and funky, he's probably the only chance that could possibly have giant funky piggy banks in his office. Um, I, just, I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. But the problem again is that, you know, I'm not 
entirely sure if this is going to be enough money, not entirely sure about the ethics of the way that it's being raised by the Conservatives. But equally, they are doing something. And one of the problems with Labour is they might criticise from the other side of the chamber. But when the Tories did try and put a tax on wealthy pensioners, they called it the granny tax, right? When Theresa May tried to do something uh, to address social care, they called it the dementia tax. So the main thing that Labour seem is annoyed that it's something that they're not doing. Okay, quick hype here. I want to give a massive big up. I shouldn't be saying words like big up, should I? Well, that is quite a 90s word, isn't it? I want to give a massive uh, hype to a, a tour show that I'm doing in Southport. I'm doing the Southport Festival. I went up there before. Uh, we sold out the room. This was added a bit later, so we're still getting going with ticket sales, but it's got some decent numbers on the board. It would be good to see as many people as possible. It's run by some brilliant people up there. It's the Southport Comedy Festival. That's Wednesday, the 13th of October. I'd uh, love to see you there. I'm also going to Northampton. Northampton's another one of these ones that I spoke about with both Fern Brady and Tom Walker, where people say, come on, don't you ever come to Northampton? I'm going to Northampton, and you lot need to pull your fucking finger out. Otherwise, like a lot of people that have been to Northampton, I will conclude that I'll never go back to Northampton. I'm, lay- I'm laying down the gauntlet here. All the others are uh, selling well. Bedford, um, they've increased the capacity of Bedford. So just remember, if you tried to buy tickets before, Saturday, September the 18th, next Saturday uh, in Bedford, Colchester Art Centre, 19th. You know I never do any advertising on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Sunday the 19th of September in Colchester. I think we're down. It's a 300 capacity. I think we're up to like 270 there. So if you're fancying coming to that, the following Wednesday, the 22nd, Peter the key theatre day after that is sold out Leamington Spa now I think on the Friday might be sold out Monmouth on Saturday the 25th that's another one where the um, capacity has increased so get involved there and just regarding the book it had a little bump a little bump we all have a little bump don't we uh, oh, by the way, yeah, this fucking this Friday as well. But this, this, this podcast will probably go up Thursday, which is tomorrow. Uh, I'm in Barnstable on Friday. Um, there's a decent number of tickets left for that because evidently Barnstable was just too busy fucking doing incest. I mean, I didn't even make that into a joke, did I? It was just a heinous regional stereotype. And then Exeter. Uh, we got a lot of people in the room. I think it's over 350 now, but it's a big room and there's still room for a few more. And just regarding the book, it had a bump recently. If you haven't bought the book, uh, it's available on audiobook. I think you can get it as your free credit for the month. It's available on Kindle and on Kindle. I don't know why I said that with such fucking emphasis. Uh, and hardback. And I will be signing um, this week, at uh, this week's gigs, I'll be signing hardback copies of the book after the gig as long as the venue let me and then from next week onwards I should be selling them as well so and if you have bought a book any reviews I mean the Amazon reviews if you've got an Amazon account that all helps with the star rating and all that stuff so there you go I do not have advertising on this podcast you're, it's your mind you're imagining that I'm advertising myself instead <laughs> God listen to yourself going to do a bit that's coming from the glorious world of uh, cancel culture here so there's a footballer called Mark Bowler right he's a Middlesbrough player I don't even know because I sport AFC Wimbledon I'm, I'm all about League One if it's not happening in League One I don't give a shit so I don't know what League Middlesbrough are in what are they in the fucking I don't know, championship probably um, and he he was held he was uh, censured that's a tabloid word isn't it no one ever uses that in real life. He was censured by the FA um, for a tweet that he did uh, in 2012, I think, when he was 14. 14 that had homophobic overtones, undertones, intonations. I don't know. Look, if it was homophobic, not good. However, 
14. I mean, if you're going to judge anybody's actions in society at any point, I would argue that 14-year-old boy is the worst time. It's the worst gender. It's the worst age. I mean, like anyone listening to this, I... If you had a transcript of the stuff that I said in GCSE Science, I'd never work again. They'd even take away my two Ds that I got at GCSE Science. We, you know, I, that's not the man I've become. I mean, for God's sake, it's the worst age, 14-year-old, isn't it? You'd see, <laughs> you're sitting there in a cloud of Lynx Africa, wanking yourself into a fucking oblivion every night and just just, just trying to impress other boys around you, saying stupid shit. And also, Twitter then, I, I say this... Often, and I'll say it again, we did not know what it was then. We thought Twitter was like a fucking public WhatsApp group between our mates. Then we were all having these conversations in public. We didn't know. We said, you always say things to your friends that are pushing the envelope, aren't they? It's a way of, it's a way of expressing trust, isn't it? It's a way of expressing trust. Like I can take a liberty here, but we can do that because we're friends and we know that we're good people and we don't have hate in our hearts. But this this lad, Mark Butler, what must he think, right? Obviously, he's got to come out and say some pre-prepared shit by his agent going, I regret my actions uh, in some weird kind of minority report historical way where he has to account for himself as a 14-year-old. I mean, I'm not even sure that British law allows for the naming of 14-year-olds in court cases. But the FA, in their wisdom, you notice how long, how often that phrase goes together, the FA in their wisdom. <laughs> the FA in their wisdom have, have, have made, made it public. I'm not even sure they're allowed to do that. Are there any lawyers... What most people think, UK at gmail.com. What legal basis have they got? Did he have some contract with Middlesbrough at that point? And if so, is that is that not child labour? Are kids allowed to sign contracts that are so detailed about their private lives? A bit fucking creepy, if you ask me. And the question with all these things is that they are always, they always seem so daft, don't they? You know, I mean, it's great, it's great grist to the mill for the right-wing press. The balmy, the loopy... PC gone mad. And as we all know, in the 90s, they used to say it was PC gone mad for stuff that was practically made up, you know, about bar bar black sheep and that you can't say black sheep anymore. And now there is stuff happening that is like that, right? And you think, well, where is it coming from? Who's driving this? And it's probably coming from someone in the FA, right? There's someone in the board that's got responsibility for diversity and inclusion. Can we just stop and say what a fucking gravy train that is? Diversity and inclusion. I don't know if you saw that that screen grab of all the different positions in the NHS that are up for grabs. 70 grand a year, some of them, for to be a diversity and inclusion officer. What a great job that is. Just sit there and every time they do a, a photo of a, of a workshop or a board meeting, you go, yeah, t- uh, too many blokes. <sighs> yeah, too many, too many crackers in there, too many white people. Okay, I'm logging out for the day. But these people have got to do something, right? It's got, it's got to be to, I think, one of those jobs where you have to create work for yourself, isn't it? Like your, your job is to fight prejudice and bigotry and, and to make sure that workforces are as diverse and inclusive as possible. But what that also means is that, is that there's often nothing happening in that respect. There's not a day in, day out thing. I mean, you can always put on workshops. I mean, there are always workshops about fucking gender identity or whatever. Up and down the country, there are decent people spending half a day of their life staring at their colleagues going, why are we sitting in this shit? In fact, I'd really like to know about that. If you, if you are a, 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 you know, a liberal person but have found yourself in a, in a workshop that was absolutely unnecessary, telling you not to be a hateful bastard, then please email confidentiality assured at what most people think, UK at gmail.com. Um, but so you get this person at the FA and then something lands on their desk, right? Someone, someone has maybe got a vendetta against this guy. You'd have to think that to, to sort of dox 
Mark Bowler, who no one knows who the fuck he is, and, and find from a tweet from when he's 14, there's got to be a reason. There's got to be somebody digging this up. And so their fear is, is, oh, well, it's on my desk. I have to do something. It's like the government at the moment. Everybody always thinks, well, we we'll have to do something. So we must be, what they're worried about is that if they say, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, they can't say this. If they say, like, well, boys will be boys. It was 14, it was 2012, very different time. Maybe they can't say that. But if they try and show a bit of perspective about it, what they're worried is that at some point their name is going to be on Twitter, right? Why do you, you know, if their name's like Mark Burrows or something like that, Mark, but Mark, but at Mark Burrows, why don't you care about hate crimes, you know? So that's their fear. And they worry about like the, the fucking hundred or so people that might do that. But what it ends up is in perpetrating an action which seems absolutely insane to the vast majority of people. And I think of all the gay men that I know, and I know quite a few. Bit of a scene queen back in my day, but well into the old gay clubbing I was. Because basically, once I start, I love clubbing, I love house music, and I know there's, if there's young people listening to this, they'll probably cringe now. But it was our music too, let's We showed you the way, you know, with the old illegal rapes. Um, but I used to love, you know, going out into gay clubs because gigs, I would start gigging every Friday, Saturday night, but I wouldn't be finished till 11. And then I'd be on my way back into London, half 12. I'd ring the lads. They were like, we're just getting up. We're just getting up, darling. <laughs> Genuinely. And then so I'd go around there and I'd still be able to have a social life. But... So I end up where oh, I don't want to out liberal liberals listening, but uh, my son's godparents are two married gay men. So I don't know whether, uh, yeah, yeah, I win. I just out liberaled you. And the reason I'm mentioning all of this, one is because um, I'm basically virtue signaling. But the other is that is that they, I couldn't think of a single gay man I know that would, would, would want this to happen, that would see any logic in this. Who, who does it help? Gay people, society? Or some board member trying to justify their salary or cover their ass. I think we know what it is. And it is a very strange situation, just to finish, is that we're holding children accountable, like historic children accountable for tweets. I mean, the very word tweet implies that it's a frivolous piece of nonsense that you toss out into the ether, right? We're holding them accountable for that. But equally, we're sort of expecting them with vaccinations to to do something that they don't really need to do to protect everybody else. So you can make an argument for both these things, but what you can't have is the paradox that's currently occurring where children are being held accountable for some very grown-up stuff, but also not being given the liberties that are accordant with their, them being teenagers and becoming young adults. Young adults. Why did I say that? Young adults. Okay, just do a bit about the old mental health here. I always have to call it the old mental health. Um, I've had a had a rough one the last few weeks, man. Um, I'll explain why. Is that I have a complaint of the inner ear, uh, which flares up sometimes when I've been busy or stressed or or you know or whining. You know, I already know that there's some women listening to this going, hmm, yeah, okay, man flu. But it, it, it flares up, and the the inner ear basically. Uh, it, I, I don't want to tell you the name because I know all the blokey blokes listening will be like, will take the piss. But it's called many ears. Millionaire's disease. Millionaire's disease, is it, Jeff? Yeah, sadly not. Um, and what it does, it creates like tinnitus is one of the main things. Uh, so it sort of sounds like, um, you know, a TV in the 80s just before it was about to blow up. That <laughs> that noise, like a fucking jumbo jet taking off. Uh, and then nausea and sort of vertigo and your ears feel like they're closing up all the time. And, it, and it, you know, for a stand-up comedian... Vertigo and tinnitus, it's not, it's not, it's not a very useful thing. And it creates this fear, right? This fear you feel, feel like you're going to fall. 
And I sort of thought, God, I imagine if I fell over on stage. And then I realised that it would probably get a laugh, wouldn't it? I mean, there would probably be quite a few people in the audience that would enjoy that. So it's something that I'm having to manage. And, and at first, I sort of rolled with it. But you know these things when they go on, they grind you down a bit. And it has done my Sweden a, a little bit, just the longer it's gone. And I don't know if you've got any shit going on with you, physical stuff. I mean, Jesus, my mates and on our WhatsApp group now is kind of like embarrassing bodies. <laughs> Have you found that where you just started talking about your ailments? And you've realised that I think that individually we all don't give a shit about each other's ailments, but we want to be able to talk about ours. So it's sort of like a deal that you come to where it's a safe space to discuss it. Um, but yeah, what, what it has meant is that my resting level of anxiety has gone up because, what you know, you, you stand up, you feel dizzy or you have a nauseous moment on stage or you know, any little situations where it happens and then your brain kind of marks all those and goes, danger, 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 <laughs> getting out of the bath, danger, right? And you have to, you have to, you have to really battle with that. Um, everything seems like a potential pitfall. Like, I sound very jolly at the moment. I mean, it, it, it's happened to me before, but I'm just having to work my way through it. The other day I was going in a shop to get a milkshake and it was a bit busy in there. And I walked in and went, this looks a bit tense. I was like, what, what, is, what is tense, Jeff? You, you're, going to, you're going to get a milkshake. You know what I mean? The only danger here is the fact that the milkshake's got 600 calories and you'll probably walk out with type 2 diabetes. With the, sorry to the type 2 diabetes community. You know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I just, I think you've got you to challenge your thoughts, right? You've got to challenge your thoughts. That's the thing. One thing that... That a counsellor said to me a while ago is that what there's two things actually. This is a useful strategy that I don't think I've mentioned before. It's the paradox of acceptance, right? So when all these things are happening, I'm currently having a big fight within me of like I don't want it to happen. I'm going to fight against it. And actually, a more healthy way of dealing with it is to go, yeah, this is happening and it's shit, and it's something I've got to work with. You know, to be more placid about it because the the fight against it or going, why isn't it stopping? Why is it still happening? Is also expending mental energy. And and the other thing is, is it's just challenging your thoughts because your thoughts aren't what you are. Do you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're just a habit that you get into and you have to, they say it's a tedious process, but you have to go. And it does sound fucking mental itself, but you have to log your thoughts. So if you're sort of thinking to yourself, oh, that looks a bit tense going in that crowded pub, you have to go, there is tension about going in the pub. <laughs> You have to become like a shit narrator to your own life. You go like, uh, oh, um, I'm sitting uh, sitting opposite someone on a stool. I feel a bit dizzy. There are concerns about vertigo sitting on a stool. It just, just, it just, it, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's sort of the process is exchanging one form of madness uh, for another. But the reason I bring up this and all this is one to have a good old moan, but also it's worth discussing anxiety because I've always thought anxiety is a tricky one for men in particular, right? Depression. I've known a lot of men that have been solidly depressed for 30 years. <laughs> they just get on with it. They're moany, they're crabby, they just get on with it. Depressed, yeah, pretty bit. Well, life's not supposed to be happy, is it? You know what I mean? Just get on, you get married, you die. But anxiety is a tricky one for men because it, it, you risk a loss of control, you risk a loss of your your dignity, do you know what I mean, your status. It all, it all plays into sort of old-fashioned stuff that is important to men. This is the difference with me when I talk about mental health. I'm not just going to dismiss these things. They matter to us. It's about our pride, right? And and if a woman, you know, if a woman has a, a dizzy spell, say she's at a shopping centre, you know what I mean? You go to one of these shopping centres and it's fucking mental there. You know what I mean? You're getting in Primark, Primark and people are rugby tackling each other for a pashmina. And, and you know, but then a woman comes out and she's like, I just need to sit down for a minute. I feel, I feel a bit faint. And everyone will rally around a woman, won't they? Oh, oh, oh yeah, sure, sure. Do, do you want a water? Do you want a water, Mandy? Do you want a water? If you're with a group of blokes, right, 
you fight that feeling so much as you're going around there. I think this is why so many men faint on those You've Been Framed videos at weddings, because the whole day has been building up. They're probably hungover, so they probably haven't helped themselves, have they? And they just they put a couple of pints, and they start to feel a bit dehydrated, they feel a bit hot, but they don't feel like they can put their hand up. And you know what I mean? Because like, I mean, you think about that pressure they're in front of the whole family. It just look. I don't care how progressive you are. If in that situation a bloke puts his hand up and goes, "I'm sorry, can I sit down? I feel a bit faint." People would challenge the marriage. I know of a reason why she should not marry this man. He's weak. So that is what we that is what we battle with. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that is how it is. That's why male anxiety is, I think, a different beast. So if you're feeling anxious, and let's be honest, post-lockdown, a lot of people have found situations they used to find manageable before. Just kind of go, it's a thought process, isn't it? It's my mind throwing up stuff. I can, this is what all the shitty meditations say. You can thank your brain for the thought. I mean, that is mental, isn't it? You're out and about thanking your brain. Ah, thank you, brain. The worst thing is if you mistakenly say some of this shit out loud. You know, you're just paying for a milkshake and you go, thank you, brain, for this thought. And then the person like looks at you and goes, what the fuck? Do you know what I mean? Is this, is this guy going <laughs> to pull out a gun? Okay, so letters. It's your letters. Oh, I just thought of that. That's a new thing. It's never been done before. And thank you to all the people that contacted me on the parenting health thing. I did have a few letters. I've tried to respond uh, to all of them. Just one following up on a theme of the, um, from a couple of episodes ago, which was I was saying about how men don't build things anymore and it's a fucking disgrace. And uh, I got a, an email from Rob, who built an outside toilet that he's very proud of. Now, Rob, I think you should be proud and well done. I'm going to challenge the idea that you can legitimately call this an outside toilet, okay? I, I I, mean, I can't show you the photo, guys, but it is two pieces of wood. I mean, he's got a bog roll holder on it, and he's got a yellow bucket. Um, and <laughs> you can have it while you're camping. I mean, I, what I love about the idea of this, Rob, is when you're telling your missus, babe, I'm going to build us an outside toilet, for the uh, for the camping in a couple of weeks, and she she's probably going, oh yeah, yeah outside toilet. that sounds nice, doesn't it? That sounds nice. And then when she's seen what you've put together there, Rob, like I say, I respect the job that you've done. I couldn't build it, but I think that I think that your mind is maybe so. Look, all I'll say, Rob, is I, I was out in Afghanistan uh, a few. I, I don't like to bring it up the the work that I did for the troops out there. Um, you know, just risking life and limb to tell knob gags to repel the Taliban. Turns out. It was in vain, you know. I just hope that the uh, I hope the new regime in Afghanistan will allow knob gags here and there because um, you know they're pretty easy going about stuff generally. But um, but yeah, I, I I would say that there was a very much a war zone feel <laughs> about that toilet. Can I tell you a quick a, a quick story? I um I was at a forward base in Afghanistan. I think it was called Pimon or something. It was quite you know it was quite in the the thick of it sort of thing. And it was so hot. It was like, I mean, I think I do add a couple of Celsius to this every time I tell the story, but it was, it was in the high forties, right? Mid forties. It's still fucking hot. And, um, they said, do you want to, do you want to have a go in our swimming pool? And I was like, fuck yeah. And the swimming pool was a barrel, uh, full of water. And I got in it and it was great to be cold. But then one of the, uh, one of the soldiers said to me, oh yeah, do you know what we call that? Squaddy soup. I was like, why is that? He goes, well, because of all the, all the disgusting squaddies that have been in it across the day. And do you know what? It's so hot, I stayed in there. Okay, as ever, uh, at the end of the show, we do... I read out the five-star reviews from iTunes. So if you leave a five-star review on iTunes, 
I will read it out, or at least I'll paraphrase it if it's a bit on the long side. Uh, on that note, Fentiger, who said, all I'm saying is give Jeff a chance. Listen to all his podcasts today. Yes, and I've bought and read his book twice. Thank you very much for that. You're a real friend. If you want to be a friend, be like Fentiger. Uh, and whether he is alone at the crease in partnership with a big hitter or with somebody relatively new to the game, he always puts in a strong performance and holds his own while keeping the swear rate ticking over. There you go. And you've done some cricket metaphors in that. I'm much obliged to you, mate. Uh, this is from Matt Davis. Uh, oh, this was uh, that was a couple of weeks ago. This is what also happens as well, fans. Is that um, fans I sound like fucking Roland Rat? Then is that yeah? There, there was just one review there. I mean, that was kind of embarrassing for me. All my new listeners and I was just uh, <laughs> I was proceeding there like uh, like I had like I had loads to cover. I was like, all right, let's just rattle through these. Let's rattle through these. This. Let's rattle through this. Because there was only one. But um, look, if you're a long-time listener, uh, always thank you to the patrons who keep this weekly and ad-free. But um, And whether you're new to the show, thanks very much for being part of this. Uh, it'd be great to hear from you, and I'll um, hear you next week. I fucked up the ending last week, didn't I? Fuck it. I'll, next week, show, program, thing. Yeah.